and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? When will I think of new questions to ask? I'm very excited to introduce our guest today. Before I do that, just so you know who else is talking, I want to make sure you know about the other panelists. So I'm Richard Litauer. I'm your host. I'm also a co-host with Eric Berry today. Eric, how are you? I'm doing right and dandy. I'm glad you are. Right and dandy. Good. Better than left and dandy. And Justin, how are you doing? I'm really good. I've been up for two hours. Really excited about today's show. You're going to love it. I guarantee it. Sounds like you need more coffee, but I'm glad that you are here. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) All right. And our guest today, our guest is Marco Sarit. Marco is joining us from his home in Belgium. He is the co-founder of Plausible Analytics. Plausible Analytics is an alternative to Google Analytics, which is open source, simple, lightweight, less than a kilobyte. I don't know how that's going to happen. All their code is less than a kilobyte. We're going to get into that later. And a privacy-friendly alternative to Google Analytics, which is fantastic. Can't wait to get into what that is. Before we do that, Marco, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very well, Richard. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. So you are the co-founder. That means that there's another founder. Which hat do you wear? Are you the technical guy or the marketer? Which one? Yeah, so I'm the marketer. I'm my co-founder, Uku. He's doing all the, the design, development, all the kind of GitHub stuff, management of the community there. While I joined him at like maybe a few months into development, I joined him to kind of help him with the communication and, and the marketing side of things. So all the tech questions, I'm not sure if I can answer. <laughs> there will be That's none. okay. There will, yeah, no, we don't, we don't talk about tech on this show. We only talk about open source. Wait a minute. So Marco, how long has Plausible Analytics been around? So the development started in December, 2018. I think the first version, like beta, came in early 2019, maybe February. The first kind of the paid product was released in mid-2019, I think May, June. And then maybe eight months after that, so something like February, March 2020, so last year, I joined as a co-founder. So basically, we've been around for, you know, let's say two years. So that's during COVID, you've been around pretty much. At some point, you had zero subscribers. How many do you have now? 4,600, I believe. Something along those lines, we're about 37K MRR, uh, US dollars. So yeah, that's the state. So when I joined, which was March last year, we were about, I think uh, there was like 100 something MRR and we had uh, less than 100 subscribers. So like uh, the first, say one year of plausible compared to the last year was like a huge change. And we were fortunate, I guess, to have such huge growth and like in traffic and interest in everything over the last year and a half. So, so, so it's, it's right now, this stage, very sustainable <laughs> for an open well, source project. I mean, there's a uh, reason why that happened. It's because you joined. And I saw yesterday, there was an article on Hacker News on how the before and after of you joining and you see the MRR and users from before you joined and then after you joined. So that's what I think is really interesting and what's really cool because it shows that there is a huge need, especially in open source and those open source projects that eventually turn in some that eventually turn into businesses is how important your role is. So I guess my first question for you is, One thing that really is hard with analytics, because I've seen this with uh, Netlify, is how do you handle the bots? Like, 
how much of a threat are they to the bottom line in terms of making sure that they don't mess up someone's expectations in terms of traffic? I'm not talking like technical, just like it's a problem, right? I think I would say it's, I'm, I'm a marketer, so I'm always caring about accurate data and so on. And, and, mm-hmm. and actually, because I, I was trying to explore the privacy first aspect, even before I joined Plusgold, I actually installed, well, I, I got access to server logs, which for me is not something I'm used to. So I got access to server logs and I was like, let me check this data. And that data, from my perspective, from the web analyst, I, I know there's value in the server logs from like a sysadmin kind of perspective to check the server and all that. There's a lot of value there. But from like a web analyst perspective as a marketer to see what's going on on the site, server logs have so many bots included. Like my own site, because I, I a, it was alive for maybe more than 10 years now, and I have a lot of like Google bots and all the kind of links from everywhere. So my site is something like 18 times more traffic on, on my server log than on Plausible, all because of non-human traffic. So in terms of bots, there are big issues in general, but I, in terms of like having JavaScript analytics, like a little JavaScript snippet, and I'm doing a few things on top of that, pretty much I would say uh, it'd be handled with, uh, like bots same way as Google Analytics. So there's not really, in that sense, they, we don't really have many issues with bot traffic. So like there's actually one study I did on our blog, which, which actually I just took screenshots of my serial logs and plausible, same period, same website, everything as like, I think it was 18, uh, 18 times more page views and visitors and so on the serial logs. So like they're kind of free of bots. Obviously, if somebody tries really, really hard to like make himself look like a, a human, that kind of slips through sometimes even in Google Analytics. So, but in general, kind of. An average website should be afraid of bots by using uh, JavaScript analytics. There's not much uh, problems with that. That's good to hear because, I mean, as a marketer and as you just brought up, it's so important to have accurate data and seeing where people are actually coming from. Which brings me up to my next thing is how I found you is you wrote a blog post called Tech Savvy Audiences Block Google Analytics. And it kind of opened my mind going, oh, there might be a problem here because the audience I target is highly technical so or tech savvy. So how has this issue that you've been shining light on converted people that are so like Google dependent in terms of Google Analytics and everything else to kind of turn over to a paid service like yours? Like, How has the shift been since you've been brought on board and starting to send out that messaging? Yeah, I mean, uh, this post was published uh, less than three weeks ago. So I had an article about how I switched uh, from uh, Mac to Linux. So I wrote a, a post on my blog, all the kind of details on how I did it as a kind of non-technical user, because Linux has an idea of all technical users, but I, I like wrote it as a normal person. <laughs> so I wrote that. And like a year after I wrote it, suddenly it found itself on the top of Hacker News. So that was like maybe four weeks ago. And luckily enough, uh, August was like, I'm going to, my time, like I'm going to install Google Analytics to my blog just to see what the current state of ad blocking is. And so luckily I had the Google Analytics at the time where this post was on Hacker News and it was on Reddit, on our Linux and, and so on. So I got, I don't remember the exact numbers. There was thousands, tens of thousands of visitors then. So I was able to actually compare Google Analytics with the normal installation that pretty much every website uses, just the JavaScript snippet in the header versus plausible using our little proxy installation, which basically runs a plausible script from my website as the first party connection. So I was able to compare these two things and you found, I think 58% of the traffic was using ad blockers. So I, that was missing from Google Analytics completely. So I was like, this is like for marketers, just in general, it's a, it's a kind of newsworthy 
thing to consider. And so we published that post with the kind of the screenshots again, comparing the Google Analytics and Plausible. And again, luckily, this went on top of Hacker News itself as well. So yeah. over the, I think it's been now in 16 days or so since that was published, we're reaching about 800 new trial subscribers uh, in those 16 days or so. Wow. So plausible. Before then, our best month ever was about 1,200 uh, trial signups. So now uh, 800 or so in two weeks or so, it, it just tells you that it kind of hit the sweet spot or whatever you want to call it. There is, uh, at least it kind of raised some awareness that uh, obviously everyone knows the ad blockers are there, but, but how, how heavy the usage is, at least for some audiences. And, and, it, and kind of it, it helps us uh, communicate our message across. Like one of the things we're saying is like, okay, plausible is privacy first, no cookies, blah, blah, blah. The other one is plausibly simple, easy to understand. But the other one is also plausibly more accurate. So we're kind of trying to send different messages to people in different audiences that are interested about different things in order to reach a bigger and bigger audience. And, and talking about accuracy, this was probably the first time we actually talked about the accuracy aspect. And that was really successful. And the numbers are there to, like, to prove that there are now almost 800 new websites or new people checking out Plausible and testing it for our free trial and kind of comparing it with their own Google Analytics to kind of figure out what's going on their own website. So I'm hoping, you know, we have 30 days trial that, you know, in a couple of weeks from now, we will have maybe a few hundred more, or let's hope at least uh, websites kind of saying, okay, the Google Analytics is not accurate enough. Let me remove it and let me, I don't know, use Plausible, use whatever else. I mean, I just want them to remove Google Analytics pretty much. I don't really care what else they end up using or if anything at all. So it's really interesting hearing you talk about this. I don't know if you're not, but both Justin and I ran a company recently called Code Fund, which is an uh, advertising company. And we heavily relied on our data. However, we never actually integrated Google Analytics because we understood that it was kind of the opposite of what we're trying to achieve with the company. However, Speaking with advertisers, analytics is the core. It's the lifeblood of what they use to be able to determine how to spend their money. And it seems that what you have, and help me understand if I'm misunderstanding, but you have a solution that provides better, more accurate analytics to those companies. However, what's to prevent developers from essentially adding blockers to this system, just like every other system? And is there a reason why they would or would not? This is a, a, a good question. I'm a user of adblockers. I've been uh, using them and, and can recommend to my family and so on for years now. I think it's necessary for the web as it is. So I also started working with Plaza because of, like, there is a need for better systems for website owners. So you don't want to send all the data to Google all the time, but you also cannot just go server logs or no analytics. I mean, some websites are happy with that. They're perfect, but some also want some data. And we're like, we want to give them a better option than Google Analytics. So I came in from that perspective. I was like, ad blockers, people in privacy first world, the, the block list maintainers will be like, yeah, this is amazing. Let's actually white list you guys also to, to send that message and to incentivize other websites. Like, okay, we are happy that these guys are open source. They do ABC. We've kind of tested them. We've kind of verified them. They're kind of white listed if you want. Let's send a message that there are, you know, Adam Atomo and a few others, there are a few analytics companies that are okay in our opinion. And whitelist them in order to say, if you want analytics, maybe you should try these guys because then you have better data because we're also saying that this is fine, blah, blah, blah. Because then together that message that I, I will tell you, like speaking to website owners over the last year and a half, 
ad blockers and blockless maintainers have a huge, huge influential kind of, uh, they're, they're very influential. Maybe not all, but the many side owners we speak to, accuracy, and like we spoke about before, that's one of the main things that they want. And they're all aware that X percentage of their traffic is blocked because of ad block. So I was like, let's work together with blockless maintainers. We have this product, and if they don't like something about it, tell us, and we're happy to kind of accommodate it and twist it and change it, or you can contribute with some code to make it even more privacy first or better. And let's push that message together, and then we can get 10%, 20% of the web that actually cares about this to actually make some moves. And that will be better for everyone. In general, you will actually have less need for ad blockers in the future because you will have a better web that's focused on more privacy-first tools. But that was uh, my idea, my thinking uh, coming from the outside. First blog post we had on Hacker News, the day after, easy privacy. There's a, a I don't know, plausible.io in the, in the block list. I was like, why? I, I completely did not understand it from that perspective that they would block also privacy first because my thinking is like, let's try to make the web better by getting website owners to use better tools for people that use ad blockers, people that don't use ad blockers, because the fact is still that most people don't use ad blockers. And uh, I was like, dude, this makes sense. Let's get together. We're all on the same page. Let's tie this together. But no. So easy privacy, uh, you block origin. There's a lot of ad blockers, lots of block list maintainers, some more popular than others, but we're pretty much on, on all the kind of main ones. <laughs> and we've, we've, I mean, I've been in, in touch with uh, several maintainers there's some github threads about it there's private emails there's twitter threads my message the way i explain it right now the way i try to explain to them did not come across there's some kind of barrier there from my understanding uh, what they tell me basically is 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 uh, blockless maintainers are like we prefer to like not run any javascript at all we'd like to block everything and we don't want to like have any responsibility to kind of say oh this tool is better than the other this one is okay this one is not so their kind of stance is like, let's block everything. And um, again, I mean, I respect it. They do a lot of work for on three. They're, they're also open source maintainers. I, I understand how, how that the world is difficult. But uh, I'm also like, but this does not help, which I hope is also their intention to make the web better for everyone, even for people that will never install an ad blocker. Because I know, like uh, I told my family to install an ad I, Like I visit them for Christmas. Every Christmas I go home, Denmark, I... I'm like, okay, guys, well, there's the ad blocker from last year. You know, what happened with the, the Firefox and new block origin that I installed for you? Why, why are you using Chrome again? And I know that, that the average person out there has struggles with this kind of installing an ad blocker or when that pop-up comes from your local newspaper asking you to remove the ad blocker. You know, there's a huge disconnect between people like perhaps all of us here in the chat and the more kind of normal web user because I'm there, I'm like, making my bike list on this website, I'm going to allow this on this website, I'm going to allow that. But normal people will be like, okay, let me just completely turn this off because my favorite newspapers ask me to turn it off. So my intention was always like, let's create something like plausible to get kind of to hope, at least. I mean, this is our grand ambition, but you know, we're obviously too small for that, but to kind of uh, de-Google a bit of the web, kind of make it more friendly in general for everyone, not only for tech users, not only for website owners, just to make the web a bit better in general. I have not been able to get on the same page with uh, block maintainers and that. So currently, plausible is, you know, if, if you use the Brave browser, for example, it will be blocked. I mean, actually, some will actually block our whole domain. <laughs> so like you try to visit our, you, wow. you go on Hacker, we, we, we get like on Hacker News, we get sometimes on top and then people in comments say, oh, this website doesn't load for me. 
because uh, they have some block list maintainer that has blocked the whole domain, even when it's a first party connection. So you go to read our blog or whatever, and you get like, uh, I don't know if what it says, not found or blocked or whatever, cannot load. Again, I completely respect these people. They put in their free time to do this voluntary work, but it's a big disconnect in the kind of how we're approaching the, you know, let's make the web better. So that's the status right now. Something I never expected, but it's what it is. And I can say at least luckily Firefox and Safari, which do have something out of the box, none of them touch plausible. So at least uh, there's this kind of uh, some of those, even some of the biggest ones that are used by you know, many millions are not really touching our script. So, so at least that's the positive part. But yeah, I really, I really hope that we could get, you know, Brave and Ublock Origin and Easy Privacy. And there's many of these lists that are used by millions of people. Get us all together and, I don't know, let them decide. Create some kind of checklist. Got to be open source, got to no cookies, got to do this. Make the checklist as long as you want. Just tell us what we can do to get us on the same page so we can kind of try to get this message across to site owners. Because uh, I, I don't know, like uh, you did not use Google Analytics today, but uh, I know that many people now use Google Analytics to like server, the server side tracking or some kind of proxying as well. So they're actually using Facebook Pixel and Google Analytics to avoid ad blockers. They're trying to like hide around it to do it and send the data back to Google and Facebook rather than, oh, okay, there's this option here. We might not get all the same data we can get. We get one tenth of all the data points that Google and Facebook give us, but at least it's not blocked. It's all accurate. Everything is there. So it's unfortunate right now, but again, we've sent our message to them. We've tried to start a dialogue. We've been in dialogue with them, but that kind of getting us on the same page has not happened, unfortunately. Thank you for sharing that. What comes to my mind when we talk about this is the future of the industry altogether. I am curious about how you see your business surviving in the next 10 years or any business in advertising surviving in the next 10 years, given that those people who are the targets of the advertising, at least in the technology area, are also the same people who are writing the technology to block that tracking. And having a background that I do of advertising and understanding the value of free versus not free and how free is paid for, I would think that everybody would understand that we have to allow some analytics because if not, we have to go to a paid system for everything. And that's not sustainable for a lot of people. So it's a a challenge, I think, for companies such as yours to say, how do we compete in a future that doesn't want us in a lot of ways? I know that was like a very poorly crafted question, but can you kind of chime in on that and tell me what you think as far as do you see big efforts or big plans or something that you guys are trying to push to make it so that there is that harmony between both sides, the advertisers and, and the consumers? Yeah, I mean, again, we're a small player. We were just uh, trying to mind our own little business and kind of become sustainable and, and try to grow that because just the fact that in the last year and a half, we got 25,000 to use plausible and who knows how many self-hosted installs as well that we don't track. That's already huge. And we're kind of taking it one step at a time there. We have nothing really with advertising business at all. So like there's no connection there. So I cannot speak from that side, but uh, I can definitely tell that websites with like development teams and kind of tech resources, they're already, it, it's not very difficult to go around the ad blockers for websites. I would not know how to do it, but my co-founder has informed me a lot and I've seen 
speaking to, to websites that some of them are like, okay, ad workers are there. Let's just uh, get our tech team to write a few lines of code and, and send the, the data to Google and Facebook without uh, the ad blockers. So I would say this is where my thinking came, like let's work together to try and push people in a different direction because the direction I'm seeing many websites heading is like, let's just work around ad blockers and still use all the same old surveillance capitalism tools. And this is like, technically it's easy to avoid it if you know how to. It's just, uh, I feel like the, the way that the block list maintainers have handled it or are treating it is, is pushing some of the websites at least that can know how to do it to, to actually avoid ad blockers and still keep sending data to Google. Other thing I can say is that uh, obviously in the States is a bit different, but the GDPR in Europe has said huge change. It's amazing what change can be done from their kind of regulator uh, politics side of things. It, it came in like maybe two and a half, three years ago, but even to this day and these days, people are slowly getting it and their legal teams are slowly enforcing it. And if you get questions from big companies daily these days, like trying to figure out how to work around the, with GDPR. And I think if we can get GDPR, it has been amazing for the web. And now I, I personally enjoy like when I, when I get a pop-up that's uh, properly done, that gives me a reject button immediately, which is the way it should be. I know like some people use like the block list that block the pop-up. For me personally, I think that's a wrong way to do it because if you block the pop-up and don't actually take the, your legal right that you have to reject it, you're actually just saying yes to everything. And then your data is there, even though you might not see the ad, you're still contributing to the whole system. While if you actually go and take uh, the two seconds and click on reject or click on customize and I'm going to give rights to this and not to this, you're actually uh, having a voice. It's like a vote. And I tell you, it's these websites, we have some like huge brands thinking of these things and they're looking at uh, their yes and no's at GDPR pop-up and they're really closely monitoring that. And like, say, if you're just using your banner there to just automatically say yes to everything, you will be on the yes column, which means, okay, let's continue doing the surveillance capitalism because people are fine with it. While if you actually give your vote and say no, or, you know, no to this and yes to that, you're actually voting to make a change and the marketers uh, are definitely looking at us that's one of the i would say one of the main like key performance indicators these days in companies is like how many people are saying yes or no to that little banner we have on our site so yeah, i personally i like i'm gonna take my even if it's not an easy reject i'm gonna take my three seconds to click on give me options and then scroll down and click on reject because i know that it, it makes a difference so i'm looking at the Firefox add-ons and you know one of them is called I don't care about cookies is at 200,000 users which just gets rid of these pop-ups so that definitely is something that's happening one of the things that I'm I'm thinking about as I'm listening to the story of plausible analytics is that this is part of a, a large arms race people want information from you and then other people are trying to stop you from getting information and it's just more technical stuff up the stack you mentioned GDPR, and I really like the example of GDPR as a game changer in the whole privacy tracking industry. But GDPR was also instituted from a complex political standpoint by the EU, partially to take information away from American companies, to have an EU have an ability for people there and citizens there to give less control to Silicon Valley. What I'm interested in the future is, is what we're going to see or what I hope happens where we actually have a pushback on advertising in general as an entire industry. Advertising is the problem from my perspective right now with Silicon Valley, with Google, with Facebook. And advertising has led to a lot of issues. It's led to all of us in this industry trying to figure out how do we get information, how to knock get information. 
And I wonder if there's an alternative. Now, Plausible Analytics is trying to get information to individual developers. And it's trying to do that in a way that puts the onus on the web developer to go and sign up for your business and install Plausible on their machine. I'm wondering if you have a game plan. Eric said 10 years. I'm wondering 25. Where do you want to go in the future to the point where advertising is really different? How do we build a more sustainable web for everyone without just doing tiny little hacks to try to make sure that like, you know, plausible isn't blocked on hacker. Do you see where I'm coming from? I know it's a much larger question. I'm just really curious about it. Yeah. I mean, GDPR was a great first step. And I think if there can be something similar, but actually just going after the personal data, Ads are, are normal. I mean, even though I may use an ad blocker or recommend people to use ad blocker, many websites that I visit, the newspapers and so on, they, they live from the ads. <laughs> if there were no ads and everyone used ad blockers, those journalists will not be able to be paid and those newspapers might not be able to exist. So I, I understand that you know, there is a need for ads while that is the main monetization method of the web. The way we monetize web, they give stuff for free, put ads, in there and it makes some money indirectly through those ads. So, but I also know, like, look back, I started my first website in the late nineties and I was there early on. There were ads before Google and Facebook and they were contextual. Google itself made, uh, I don't know how many billions early on in the first few years, purely on contextual ads. So like you search for analytics, you get ads for analytics. Nobody cared uh, what other stuff you like and what's your personal life about. They just know you care about analytics. Let's show them ads for analytics. It clicked. Perfect. It works. And they made billions on it. So I'm hoping that like GDPR, we can have something similar from the governmental side because it has to come from there eventually to say, okay, the personal data and kind of tracking of people across the websites and collecting people's uh, personal behavior and interests in order to show ads, uh, maybe that we can limit that in some ways. Again, ads are important. People make money from them and pay salaries. But I also know that you can actually do ads without personal data. So to trying to kind of balance these things out a bit, because the small tools, I, like a few weeks ago, ethical ads, like installed Plausible and they yep. wrote a blog post about it. And I was like, perfect. These are the kind of uh, tools we want to promote as well. Like there's uh, Plausible for analytics. There's ethical ads for ads. There's many different smaller companies that do these things like for emails and so on. But we can do our little thing. You know, Plausible can remove Google links from 30,000 websites. Ethical ads, I don't know their numbers, but they can remove uh, Google ads from a few websites here and there. We can all do our little part, like, hey, can remove people from using Gmail and blah, blah, blah. But obviously, we, we, a governmental push similar to GDPR would help us all and help do something that we as kind of smaller individual companies will never be able to. So uh, I would definitely hope that there's some thinking behind, like, how do we do ads and how do people pay their own salaries using ads? But uh, do it in a, in a way that, that requires no or, or much less personal data and that kind of tracking, because it, it definitely is possible. I mean, I, I don't know like sources right now, but you can check it on DuckDuckGo or whatever. You can find people doing studies on their own website and like personal ads versus contextual ads. And like they're seeing no difference in terms of effectiveness or in the kind of the income they get or the conversion rate or whatever. So you can actually do good business, both as a publisher, but also as an advertiser, just by targeting people contextually or whatever other way they can find out that's not really necessary as part of the surveillance capitalism. Do you see plausible analytics 
staying independent or possibly joining a company like Netlify or Cell or Automatic? What's your kind of game plan? Right now, they have no plans to join anyone. Since we became the first happiness post and all the, the hype on Twitter and so on and our announcements of the MRR, we've had, uh, I, I don't know how many approaches of VCs and uh, the companies <laughs> and so on. And uh, until now, we like all just uh, ignore them. I, I think um, don't. maybe 1% one, 1 of them, we've actually replied because they were nice and they said something nice about the product. We're like, thank you for the nice words. But in general, we just ignore them, never responded to them at all. So obviously things always change, but you never yeah. know. I'm not going to like MailChimp yesterday got a lot of bad comments right. because they sold, even though 10 years ago, somebody said, oh, we will never sell. So I'm yeah. not saying it will never happen. We just, I can tell you right now, and in the, the, the future from the way we stand right now, we don't plan to sell and we just do our own thing and try to kind of do our own little sustainable business. And we're, we're really happy the way it is. I know we say like, we want to remove Google from the web totally. And, but you know, it's, this is just like our dream. You know, it's not like we will do everything in our power to, to actually remove Google from the whole web, which means we got to get investors and spend a lot of money on ads and hire tons of people. So mm -hmm. we're just taking it one step at a time. And yeah, there's not really no plans. And yeah, daily, daily we get these species. I don't know why they don't learn because we've shared several times on Twitter, like we're not looking for investors and blah, blah, blah. Right. But we, we get them daily like, oh, I saw the latest, uh, I don't know, announcement about MRR, love plausible. We want to give you a hundred million. Yeah. We want to give you a hundred million dollars in VC cash, get bankrupt so you could sell to my yeah. other portfolio company. <laughs> the biggest number I've had, uh, like, because some of them just measured the number up front. So it was like a 15 million, that was maybe eight months ago or something. And they were like, oh, no strings attached. Here is this, just whatever, do whatever you want with it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, also like, I'm, I'm not like completely anti-investors and venture capitalism because uh, like for some situations, some startups here, you might need it. I mean, if I want to go to the Mars or whatever, I'm not going to do it by one person. I need some money. Or if I want to find a vaccine for coronavirus or whatever, I need some investors. I need people that know what they're doing. I need the tons of resources. So. In some cases, there's a need for this, but yeah. two of us doing a little analytics tool and we want to be previously first in control and, and, and kind of everything there the way we want it. I think for our kind of case, it's not really necessary and maybe it will help us like hire people faster, yeah. but it will also contribute to other things such as, oh, this month you didn't grow as fast as we expected. Maybe you should push more on, maybe you should start spending our money on Google ads and we don't want to kind of fund Google in order to grow ourselves, which kind of defeats the purpose. This is what I see. And this could be a, he calls a conspiracy theory, but I think Brave is blocking you so they can eventually buy you because they have their own browser, their own search engine. They'll probably get ethical ads on and they will basically go head to head with Firefox and Google because, you know, that's my thinking the opinions about that. expressed on this show or those of the people that. Yeah. Them. Hey, listen, show. I'm independent. Actually, actually, we've had several Twitter threads with Brandon and the Brave people because we always like, why is your site blocked on Brave? And that kind of simple thing, like people, some people at least, they don't expect plausible to be blocked by uh, things like this because they also look at it like they're privacy first, blah, blah, blah. So, so we've had several threads like that. Like one of our users would say, like, send a screenshot and like, hey, Brandon, hey, Brave, why, why are you blocking plausible? And then there will be lots of discussion there. So we've had several these threads. I know like uh, Brave is using it. Uh, I, I use uh, Brave as one of my browsers on, on my uh, Linux. And uh, by default, they have analytics. 
install two different things. If you want to disable them, you can, you have two different things that are enabled by default. So mm-hmm. they're not like completely against analytics and they also enable the Facebook and Google analytics scripts by default. And they give you the, the options to disable them, but they're not like completely against it. So some of the conversations with Brandon were, were I think a bit more positive than the conversations with the, with the blockless maintainers, because it was more like, maybe there's a way to kind of get everyone together and kind of figure out this kind of approach to how to trust each other and, and what's good, what's bad in terms of features to have, what could be whitelisted. But in terms of selling to them mm-hmm. or them approaching us, the answer will be no, please, the way it is right now, we will probably not, maybe we'll email him back because he's such an influential person. Maybe we'll respond saying thank you, but no. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's no, 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 no interest like that uh, from our side, at least. Once Brave blocked code fund i stopped using brave <laughs> i hated them after that i was like screw you guys anyway there's actually two stories going on in this podcast so one of them is about plausible's business model and how do we do analytics properly and the other one is you're an open source sustainable business which is super super cool one of the questions i have is why is it important that plausible be open source why are you open source but this was a decision before my uh, joining Plausible. But I would say in terms of privacy first, it completely makes sense to be open source. So if you go like privacytools.io or that that site, or you go to the Reddit uh, forums or Hacker News, if you're not open source and you're talking about privacy first, you will probably be kind of excluded from the conversation. People will not take you serious. Open source means you are, uh, I mean, you cannot verify everything, obviously, but it means you are more trustworthy than proprietary and people can, people that can know how to do it, they can actually inspect your code and you can go to GitHub and review everything. They can download it to their machine. They can run it themselves. So in that sense, open source has a much more uh, kind of trustworthiness than not. And especially if, if, when you're talking about being privacy first, and we make a lot of claims on our website, like we don't use cookies, we don't do this, we don't do that. And if you're proprietary, a lot of people with technical knowledge and people really deep into this would not trust us because you're just saying things we don't know who you are why would we trust you so by being open source at least that angle is kind of covered like you can actually go to our github you can download our our latest uh, self-hosted release if you have the knowledge and the skills go code like line by line and review everything run it to your machine test things how does it work does it actually do what we say it does and in that sense i think open source and privacy first really are you know key things together. Maybe if you just talk about mainstream audience, they won't really care like open source or not. But in that core group, the really believers, the guys that will kind of help you spread the message and will talk about you on Twitter and Hacker News, I think not being open source, there's just, you will not even be considered. So that's my impression coming kind of from the outside of being technical. I cannot read code. I cannot verify what we're doing. I know, obviously, but I cannot like go and verify it or, or do it on Firefox or on Mulva VPN or whatever I'm using. I, I, I don't know. So I, I got to trust that by being open source, having so many eyeballs on it, is that at least if there was something uh, kind of sketchy going on or whatever, somebody will kind of flag it. And that cannot be done uh, a bit proprietary stuff. Which makes sense to me. And like, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, but it's good to have your words on it and what Plausible thinks around open source. Are you worried at all about people taking the code and just running another plausible analytics as a fork? I tell you, um, 
uh, I spoke to my co-founder. He started with, again, I was completely new to all these licenses. I had, I had no idea. I was using WordPress and stuff. I had no idea what WordPress license was or any of the differences. But my co-founder started with uh, MIT license, which he told me he had no idea either. He's a developer, he's techie, but he had no idea. He just, that's the default one on GitHub. Everyone uses it. Let me use that one. Okay. No kind of uh, bigger thinking behind it. So it started like that. We got our first uh, Hacker News post, tens of thousands of visitors coming in. And suddenly there are all these companies going around us and like, oh, uh, emailing us like, oh, we want to offer plausible self-hosted to tens of thousands of our customers. We, we don't really plan to like, like contribute anything or give you kind of help you with development. We just want you to tweak a few things so it's easier for us to sell it to our customers. <laughs> And I was like, again, I was new to the open source. I, I had no idea that this is how it can work, that they will just upfront come to us and, and tell us, we don't want to do anything, have to help you, but can you please do something so it helps us so we can kind of compete with you and we have tens of thousands more of audience and we, we will right. kind of kill you. So I was like, this doesn't make sense. So this, how, how can anyone be if this is so, so obvious and so, so popular to do? So what happened is that- You went to AGPL. We, we went to research. So basically- I had no idea what HPL was or GPL or this and that. And like we announced it at some point last year. And I think 10 days before, I never heard of HPL. So after those few emails where people were like, kind of, we felt threatened. We were like, at that stage, we were maybe even less than 1,000 MRR. And they were like, if we're ever going to pay our own salaries from this and make this a full time job for ourselves, there's no chance we can survive it if this big company comes and just takes our own software and even with our own few tweaks and kind of uh, sells it to tens of thousands of people. Back then, we did not have an audience at all. You know, we were new and starting out. And I was like, I mean, this is this can kill us immediately. How do we deal with this? So we went research. Everything was put on hold. And we went research, like licenses. What does this do? What does that do? What do people think of this and that? And ended up with AGPL. And we felt it's the great kind of uh, license for our own situation, for what we're kind of handling with. We did not know anything like history or people's thinking about this or that, or free software foundation, or this or that, or nothing as a beginners, as outsiders, we just went like, what does help us in our current problem, which can kill our own hopes and dream. And AGPL was the one, like, so I learned about, let's say Tuesday this week, next week, Wednesday, we already released it, changed the GitHub, big post, hacker news on the front, tons of discussion about it. I did not know that like it would be such a passionate uh, conversation. Oh, was yeah. One guy even one guy emailed us and said, can I cancel my account? That was the first ever account request for cancellation and refund. First ever. And we, we don't really get many of these. And he just did it because we changed from MIT to AGPL, which we really, in that blog post, I really tried to explain it uh, honestly from my perspective. Like, if you want to make this uh, uh, thing that could become sustainable in the future, pay our own bills so we can focus on it full time and, and hopefully make a difference in, in the wider sense on the web. We just cannot do the MIT because of this, this, this. And I thought like, this is no brainer. Everyone would be like, yeah, perfect. Let's do it. But no, I mean, few people, obviously the majority of the, the feedback was amazing. And then people accepted it and understood it from our perspective. But even if one person was basically requested a refund for that kind of thing. That So again, like maybe because we're outsiders, we uh, obviously first time uh, doing a startup, first time doing an open source project. Me as I'm like a, person that doesn't even know what a license is or doesn't read it, know how to read the code. And we're like, we're learning a lot of things as we go. And that was a very big lesson, I would say, 
I know that my co-founder says um, that if you're doing like a database and things for developers, you probably want to be MIT because then other companies can use other projects. But I would say if, if you're coming from my perspective as a, somebody who has to communicate the message and, and kind of differentiate ourselves and try to compete with what else is on the market, I was like, if you're going to sell to you know, consumers and other businesses, like, I think it would be really difficult to survive with MIT. Again, as a beginner, I, I'm just, sure there are MIT licenses that work very well and they're sustainable, but I just don't know how I would compete with a bigger company just taking what we're doing and then maybe tweaking it a bit to make it a tiny bit better because they have a bigger distribution. Just how do we do, how do we compete with that? I have no idea. Thank you so much for, for talking about the licenses. That is awesome feedback. I'm, I'm glad I asked. Before we let you go, because we are running up on time, I want to make sure we get to Spotlight. Spotlight is the part of the show where we talk about really cool projects, things, anything which needs love. So quickly, Eric Berry, what is your Spotlight today? So mine today is a newsletter that I signed up for at console.dev. They send uh, weekly tools that are up and coming. I'm a big fan of new tools and new applications that make my life easier. So console.dev does a really great job collating those. Thank you so much. Justin, Spotlight. So developer, you may need a co-founder in marketing. It's by MicroFounder. They interview Marco's co-founder. Is it Yuku? Uku. Uku. And that shows basically before and after Marco joined. It's a really great read. And yeah, again, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was just such a great learning experience. Well, thank, thanks very much for the invite. I'm happy I was able to like discuss with you. I was a bit nervous. Now I cannot discuss with some more experienced people in this area. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, it, it went well. <laughs> That's what we're about. My spotlight today is Andrew Grieg, G-R-E-I-G. He is a Scottish poet. I picked up the Complete Mountain Poems, lyric poetry. So if that's your thing, 50-page poems, feel free to dig in. Certainly found some good ones in there for me. Marco, what is your spotlight today? Yeah, so I'm coming from it from a user perspective. I, I know my co-founder has completely different ones, uh, like ClickHouse and Postgres, and I don't know what we're using to actually build a tool, all these cool tools. But I'm just uh, talking to you, like I'm talking to you from a Linux machine. I run Fedora and I really love that I can, uh, I can have a beautiful Linux system that looks nice and, and works very well. And it, it can be as, as good as my old MacBook that I had. I'm also doing everything I do for Plausible runs through Firefox, another open source tool. I, I just love that uh, Firefox is such a great browser that does so much for privacy out of the box and basically competes with uh, the, all the billions with, that Chrome has to invest into their stuff. And the last one I would say is WordPress. Uh, I've known them, they're pretty much my introduction to the open source world. As a marketer, I wanted to have a website and WordPress was the, the key. WordPress was like the, the main thing to, to use to create a website. At least it was when I created mine. And I've been using WordPress for, I don't know, 15 years now. And I just love again that uh, such an amazing open source software that allows even people like me that have no idea about code to, to actually write something and reach the world. So those are my three main ones. Awesome. Thank you so much. Marco, it's been a pleasure to have you on. For all of our guests, Plausible Analytics, they have a very awesome blog. As you've heard several times during this podcast, you can probably also read every single one of their posts at the top of Hacker News when it comes out. <laughs> Let's hope. Knock on wood. Marco, thank you so much again. It was great. Have a good one and best of luck. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, man.